But I just want to pay special note to people who identify as female because I do feel like even very much historically, the way that we appear is so much of how we determine our worth in this world. And I want to just say that I do not believe that we are born getting our worth from that. I think that that is a construct, that is a system that we have been made to be a part of. And once we are able to crack that door to curiosity and ask if that serves us or not, if we come to the conclusion that methodology and that construct does not serve us, we do have a choice. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Tonka Feel Everything, and I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be ourselves. Before we get started, a reminder, the podcast is for general educational purposes and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness, and we always recommend that you do so with a licensed health professional accordingly. I am excited this week to welcome a new guest to the show, Katie Bramlett, who is the co-founder of WeShape, an online fitness app and community that pushes the boundaries of traditional fitness programs. I have a long history of becoming obsessive with these kinds of things. So I went pretty deep into checking WeShape out before Katie came onto the show. And I was fascinated to find that they offer customized workout focus on form and that you can adjust while doing them live with live coaching, or you can choose to participate in challenges and you don't need any equipment. And it has been featured on Markets Insider, Yahoo Finance, Bloomberg. And so listeners, as we kind of make sure that we're moving away from diet culture and into redefining health and wellness to be inclusive, both of mind and body and for everyone, I was legitimately impressed at the inclusivity that we shape shows and offers from disabled models to those outside the traditional beauty standards in their underwear looking happy on the website. (laughs) I think so often we see people who are like, you know, touching parts of their body that they don't like and different things like that. And instead, Katie's kind of mantra on the website was feeling good in your body means honoring and appreciating yourself while nurturing your mental, emotional and physical well-being. We Shape is here to teach you how to reconnect with your body through joyful movement so you never have to look at exercise as punishment or as a way to change your looks again. And I know you have way more to offer than just this part of yourself and your business, but Katie, I'm excited to welcome you to the whole view. Can you tell us a little more about yourself in general and maybe how you came to create Reshape? What's your story? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much, Stacey. I'm really happy to be here and grateful for the opportunity to connect with you. Yeah. So my co-founder and I, we have both been in the fitness industry 
for over 20 years. We used to own a different fitness company together that was very successful. We had made the Inc. 500 three times. We were scaling that business. Essentially, we sold diets and cookbooks and digital fitness products. And I like to tell everybody that my Instagram life looked really good. I had checked a lot of boxes that society said I needed to check. But truth be told, I still didn't feel right on the inside. And so I like to use this term like cracking the door to curiosity because I believe that when we do that, things in our life can change. And so I had to acknowledge that there was this like yearning and desire for something more and that I was confused as to why everything was the way it was supposed to be, but I still didn't feel quite right. So I cracked the door to curiosity in my own life and things just evolved from there. So essentially we shut that business down. I just couldn't sell diet and exercise stuff anymore from that place. A lot of it was prescriptive, like this is the only diet we should be focusing on. A lot of it was rooted in judgment. Most of it was rooted in weight loss. And we had thousands of people go through our products and programs who lost tons of weight. And guess what? They still weren't happy. They still weren't fulfilled. It was either not enough or it wasn't as good as they thought. And it just, I couldn't unsee it. And so through many years of building this new product, it's a very technology-driven product. So it took us a long time to build it. There was also a lot of, I'll just be really transparent, challenges that my my partner and I had to go through. We've been married for almost 15 years and we were running this business together and everything was fine. And so we had to really sit down together and also work out like, what's your philosophy and why are you wanting to head in this direction? And what's your philosophy? But I'm really grateful for the years that we spent doing that. And so with that story was the birth of WeShape, where we kind of flipped everything on its head. We are, we no longer prescribe diets. We really believe in movement versus exercise. We like to talk a lot about what it means to be a part of a culture and a system that really promotes like toxic diets and toxic weight loss culture and toxic exercise culture. And we like to, you know, talk about those things and expose them because we feel like once people can understand the root of where some of these things are coming from, real transformation on the inside can happen. I love and resonate with so much of that. And I also run a business with my partner. So we were talking <laughs> before the show started. We we have many things in common, it appears. And I think that, you know, for a lot of listeners, they're on this journey with us, right? Like we, I think that no matter how we've come to this journey, a lot of us kind of have had this awakening or this realization of the harm that some of the toxic mindset around perfectionism, which includes this idea of perfect health, perfect wellness, perfect fitness, can actually make things worse in a lot of cases with the mental stress that it incorporates and all that kind of stuff. I'm wondering when you first started, how did this concept of really like sitting down with your partner and asking these philosophical questions, how did that end up into the work that you did? So for example, the psychology aspect of even hearing the words that you're saying, being curious about things, those are relatively like advanced, I think, woke or whatever we're going to say, right? Like my teenagers always like to joke with me about that stuff, but 
I think it's really important that we're using those kinds of words as we explore getting out of the roots of some of these toxic and problematic concepts. How do you weave that into technology heavy program, as you called it, right? Mm -hmm. How does that all get married in? I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was messy for a long time. (laughs) So the good news is, I mean, anytime you're in partnership and you're raising children and you're running a business together and you have different ideas and you're both very strong personalities and you're both, I mean, that is a lot. That's a recipe for like a lot of therapy. And so we did a lot of therapy. (laughs) That was the first step. But I think it was, you know, my partner really believes in like movement He understands like a lot of deep exercise science and like has a passion for helping people feel better and move better in their body. So I was like, okay, if if you're on that page, we can get somewhere, right? And so, you know, even though I felt like we were kind of on different pages for a while, in the end, I realized we actually were rooting for our own path that was really amazing. He was really rooting for movement. I was really rooting for this deeper emotional philosophical part of our company. And I'm like, oh, if you just put those things, it doesn't have to be either or. (laughs) We could actually just put them together and it would make a really great company. So it was just through a lot of challenges, ups and downs, therapy, different ways that we were able to come together and see, oh, actually, you have the opposite strengths and some of the things that you're bringing to the table are really critical and valuable. And so do I. And so we need to find value in those and actually just merge them together. So it started with the product. It started with sort of this concept between movement versus exercise. I think we actually talk a lot. I think it's becoming more popular to talk a lot about toxic diet culture. I don't know that as many people are talking about toxic exercise culture. A lot of the exercise that we participate in as a society, as a culture, as a community is really rooted in how many steps did you take? How many calories did you burn? How much did you sweat? Did you feel the pain? Could you not walk for two days? Did you get a good workout? Did you push through that? And what we're trying to advocate for is that's not sustainable. And that is a mentality of looking at exercise through like a disconnection between the mind and the body. Like the idea of no pain, no gain, we're actually saying the opposite of that in our company, in our product, in our user experience. If your body is hurting, you need to listen to them. You need to tap into the unique movement patterns of your body and adjust that. And so I think that a lot of people, you know, miss that concept of like it. And I don't want to throw other companies under the bus by any means. I think movement of any form can be beneficial, but I'm talking about like a deeper connection with your body and a sustainable program that, you know, I'm not going to sit on my exercise bike for the next 40 years. That's not really sustainable. Does that make sense? It's like, I need to connect with my body and learn how to move my body in the way that my unique body needs to move. And that was what we were trying to accomplish with kind of the exercise piece. So I think we were able to kind of navigate through it. And I feel really proud of the work that we did because it was a rough go for a couple of years, for sure, to get on the same page. Yeah, I, I can appreciate that while our journey is very different in its roots. When I was home during the pandemic, my husband is a postal carrier worker, so he was out there having a very different lived experience. And I was home taking all these like parenting classes and learning how to be so like socially and psychologically aware of my foster children's emotional and other needs. I was growing in a very different direction while he wasn't in terms of like understanding a lot of the concepts that you're talking about really apply to a lot in life and being able to come back together as a couple and be like, I am on this path. I really want you to be on this path. Me. And also to realize that 
true partnership is a yin and yang and being like, okay, these are the things that I'm experiencing or I'm learning in my journey. And we truly understand each other as partners. We've been together 21 years, 15 years. Like clearly we love each other and we're in a partnership together and we want to be together. How can we bring these two worlds together in a way that moves everyone forward to be better versions of themselves? And so I love that you kind of birthed this additional child in your family, so to speak, right, that can benefit so many people. This podcast is sponsored by Babbel. Get 55% off a subscription, the perfect summer hobby to give a try. See padoi, see moi podcast. I still can't believe you are learning Polish. And listeners, I hear one in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, check it off the list this summer with Babbel. Because with Babbel, you start speaking a new language in just three weeks. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversation. And all of Babbel's tips and tools for learning a new language are approachable, accessible, rooted in real life situations and delivered with conversation-based teaching. And I invited Wesley here, who appears Listen, to... Listen, I said, I said, I'm taking over the podcast. Listen, I've been having some time with Babbel on my own, and I've been able to learn plenty of words. Oh, I, I know, talk, nine, the sentence you just heard. I, I only had, like, three days in order to learn it, okay? But it's still a great app. It's, it's a lot different than other language apps, because it's able to teach you, like, words like nine, which we know, but then present you with words like not, and then you're able to fill in the gaps that nine also means not, and so it's really good with that stuff, you know? It's a, it's a good thing, alright? And now I have to hand this over to mom. Babbel has studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others that continue to prove Babbel is better. For instance, one study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college, which blows my mind. And I'm excited, Wesley, that you are taking up learning Polish, which I don't know why. This is something that you've wanted to do for a long time. It's my obsession. I've, I visited the museum in Chicago. I'm now, I, you cannot take me out of this. The Polish History Museum really resonated with you. And now you want to learn Polish. Polska Sinla. Listeners, if you want to add an obsession to your summer hobby list, if you want to start speaking a new language with Babbel this summer, here's a special limited time deal for our listeners to get you started right now. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash whole view. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash whole view. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash whole view. Rules and restrictions may apply. Learn a new language today and be like me. I think beyond we shape, you know, I stalking your social media. I think that there's something really magical in finding a resource that can speak to people of all fitness levels. Like for me, sometimes when I go to check out people who are promoting anti-diet or breaking up a toxic weight loss culture, whatever it is they might be saying, and then I go 
check out their social media, it is still very much rooted in that toxic mentality of, as you said, like toxic fitness or wellness in general that I think can be really triggering and detrimental to people who don't realize that's what's happening because they turn that mindset counting calories into counting steps or this idea of if I don't do this, then I'm a bad person. If I don't do this, then I can't intuitively eat because I'm not exercising enough to justify that. And all of that is still rooted in the same kind of diet culture mindset. So I guess part of what I'm saying is I want to praise the fact that if you go to We Shape's Instagram page, like I did and stalking them, you'll find <laughs> a bunch of videos that like learning how to stretch while you're on the sofa or using your sofa as a means to decompress your spine or, you know, like there's a bunch of different things that no matter what fitness level you're at and there is no expectation of, and you need to do this four times a week, 50 times each in order to be successful. It's really coming from a mindset of incorporating things, as you said, sustainably that really all people can do, which I, there's a lot of value in that I really want to call out. And I know that you're saying it was hard for you all. And it was this long journey, but it really is a special thing to be able to meet so many people's needs where they're at and encourage them into movement that feels good for their body and that hopefully brings them joy. So I guess what I'm trying to say is you I think you and your partner did a good job. Good job. I'm just giving you a little high fives. Thank you. I mean, I feel like me and him having two little girls was also sort of meant, I don't really believe in like mistakes. I really believe that like, you know, I think we're more in the driver's seat than we are. And us having two little girls, I mean, I really was used to be in a place of like, now I can look at it as like some disordered eating habits around meticulousness around food and, you know, really making sure that, oh, I ate that thing. So I have to exercise the next day. Like there, there was a really toxic thing that I wasn't even aware of. And children, if you're, if you're available for it, that's the key. We'll put a mirror to your face. And my older daughter at the time was struggling with Lyme disease. Luckily we're in remission from that. And so I was doing everything. And part of that was incorporating her into my world around like I'm going to use air quotes here, clean eating, which I just do not believe in anymore. And one day she came to me and said, you know, mom, I feel like I'm in jail because she really wanted to have gluten and I wouldn't let her have gluten. And she said, I feel like I'm in jail and you're going to let me out or I'm going to let myself out and eat it anyway. And how old was she to say that to you? I think she was eight or nine at the time. That's incredible. Yeah. And I realize now that I had two choices. I could have said, I'm the parent and you will absolutely not be doing that. I know what's best for you. Or I could have said, your daughter's coming to you and really sharing a really valid experience from herself inside. And you need to maybe look at this because this is like the precursor for like disordered eating, which is the precursor for an eating disorder. And you might actually be creating a bigger problem than you're actually the one you're trying to solve. So how important is it? And I sat with that and like not even for 10 minutes. And I said, you know, I really want to appreciate your honesty and vulnerability and transparency. And I do think you are right. I have been way too hard on you and our family and this idea that 
food is good or bad or this or that. And that's actually not helping your illness at all. And so we're actually going to have no food restrictions in our house anymore. And I really just was like, I, I felt that. And I'm sure you felt this as a parent. Like, if I don't change this right now, I have a very limited time before this is going to be a real problem. And I'm like, she's going to like be going into pre-adolescence here. I need to really evaluate my methodology before I have a way bigger problem on my hands. So it was just like this, I snapped right to it. And it was one of those moments where like, you know, I don't know if you've had this where you go to your partner. It's like, let's have a discussion. It was like, we're not having a discussion. I see the writing on the wall and I feel it in my bones and we're switching this immediately. And it was like, that really was kind of the last piece for me. It was like I was in the middle of breaking up a toxic weight loss culture at that time. And it was really the last piece for me where I went, hello, you're still in it. <laughs> Your well, daughter's and, telling you about it. And it allowed you to really be open to hear what she was communicating, which I think can sometimes be hard as parents when we feel like we need to be authoritative or be the ones in charge. Like sometimes we feel like, oh, if we listen to our children then they're manipulating us or they feel like they're in charge. And I think it's really been a powerful tool for me to learn as a parent that listening to my children and evaluating what they're saying and then perhaps pivoting and learning from that or hearing that and validating their feelings as being just as important can help me grow and our entire family be better rather than coming from this place of like, but I'm right and I must buckle down, you know, I must double down on what it is that I'm standing for in order to assert my power over them. And I feel like just as the parent of someone with older teenagers, so ranging from 13 to almost 18, to see that I had that very toxic relationship with my kids around food at that younger age, and I wasn't, I'm sure they said things like that to me that I wasn't able to hear because I truly believed that I was doing what was best for them and coming from a place of, I know what's best. And I was not able to be at that place to break up with diet culture and to now be like I don't know, three years into that and to be able to say to them, I'm really sorry that I created this difficult dynamic with and to try to reset while they're still here under the roof and to allow them to experiment. Now, I am gluten-free because we have celiac. My mom is anaphylactic to gluten, so we take it very seriously. But when we're out of the house, it's like they eat what they want to eat. And I think it's really enabled them to be aware. Just yesterday, my teenager got, one of my teenagers got a gluten sandwich from Starbucks and then we're like in Target three four hours later and like is it normal for my stomach to be cramping like I am I'm like feeling like maybe because you had gluten a couple of hours ago oh yeah and I think just enabling them to realize like does it have an effect on your body or does it not have an effect on your body and the choice that you have to choose that or not empowers them to explore or to break up with foods that don't work for them. Like, I think part of the challenge for me in this journey of like breaking up with diet culture is also the realization that not all foods make us each feel good and that 
everybody is unique and individual. And that doesn't mean that I'm participating in diet culture if I choose to not eat something because I don't feel I don't drink alcohol. And that has had a bigger impact on my health and wellness than like any food, maybe not gluten, but any food that, you know, I chose to not eat before. And that came from the realization of, oh, I don't feel great after I drink alcohol. Like I feel sick, you know, like I have anxiety and I have a hangover and, you know, these kinds of things. Like, why am I doing that? I don't want to do that. And I think when we come from that perspective and just encourage curiosity, as you call it, or these kinds of things, like, oh, could that be the fact that you had gluten earlier today and you don't normally allows our children who are their own people to kind of discover that on their own versus this mindset of we don't have that in this house and your child eventually being like okay now that I'm not in this house I'm gonna do x y or z (laughs) and rebel even more I mean it's hard to imagine at eight years old right but like when your kids are 15 16 17 years old to now have a relationship with them where I have apologized. It's not a power dynamic. They know that they can come to me and be honest and I will hear them and I will validate their feelings and we can talk about what it is they're experiencing has enabled for a lot more difficult conversations than just food for us to be, you know, in partnership to ensure that they are having a healthy life and living their best life and like all that kind of stuff versus like, I feel like if you would have in the moment been like, no, and you're not going to break out of jail because I'm not going to let you, then there's a lot of personalities like mine that would have been like, I'll show you when I'll mm-hmm. prove to you, like I'll sneak gluten everywhere I can get it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you said something really important that I want to highlight, which I think is really huge because I don't believe we live in a culture that supports this mentality. But you said, I apologized. I went to my kids and realized I'm learning a better way and I'm sorry. And, you know, I had this therapist one time because I am, you know, I really struggle when I make mistakes and especially around parenting. And I remember she said, stop focusing on the mistake and put your energy in the repair. Like so much learning and so much connection can happen in the repair. You're not going to get out of this parenting mistake free. It is what it is do the best you can. And then when it when you realize that you had made a mistake, own it and live in the repair. And that's actually where a lot of connection can come. So I just want to really, you know, give you a lot of credit for saying, hey, I'm sorry, because I feel like we live in a society that says the parents are right. They know what's best. We really minimize children's experiences. And they're so wise. They're the unconditioned ones. <laughs> They're the ones who are actually really connected with themselves. And this is something I talk a lot about here at We Shape is sort of this idea that, um, and this is sort of like the foundation of, I think, what we're trying to do is like, when we're born, I believe that we kind of have like two dials on the inside. It's like our own like self, our own authentic self, and then sort of the outside world that has influence on who we think we are. And you've had four children, so you know this very well, that When babies are born, that internal dial of self is turned to a 10. The baby doesn't care if you're in a meeting, if what you're scared, if it's the middle of the night, if they're hungry or tired or need a diaper change, the volume's at 10 and here we are, right? They're not influenced by the outside. And that's a survival mechanism. But as we get older, 
the external dial of people's opinions, of cultural norms, of constructs, of rules and beliefs, that dial gets turned up. And for a lot of us, somewhere along the way, that external dial gets turned up louder than that internal dial. And I do believe that internal dial is never fully turned off. I think it's why I was able to push through some of those hard years. I mean, along with an incredible team at WeShape, who was always really behind this mission. But uh, I, I was able to kind of say, whoa, that, di- that internal dial of self is really low. And this external dial that that really seeks external validation, that seeks like making sure I'm following the way culture and society tells me to go is too loud. And I think if there's any gift that we can give children, you know, I know a lot of parents, like, I just want my kids to be happy. I'm like, life's not always happy. If there's any gift that I can offer my two daughters, it's how do we keep that dial of self, of that internal voice, just a little bit louder than the dial of external voice, because we can't turn that, that, that dial on the inside that comes from the external side off. We, unless you're going to go live in a cave. I mean, it just isn't going to happen. But if I can help my girls connect with self in a really meaningful way, so that internal dial is turned up just a little bit louder, I feel like that will serve them very well. And my daughter came to me with her internal dial very loud and said, this isn't working for me. And I really am proud of that moment because a past version of myself in that recent, in those recent years was like, absolutely not. I know the research on gluten. I know Lyme disease. I know this. And even if I'm right, (laughs) that doesn't matter because if my goal is to have her connect with herself in a meaningful way, because first of all, she's not always going to have me anyway. So it's not really a meaningful goal for her to blindly trust me. It's meaningful for her to learn how to connect with herself. So just want to offer you kudos for just saying, hey, I'm sorry, because I feel like our culture doesn't really support that type of narrative around parenting. Today's podcast is brought to you by ButcherBox, and they're giving you three New York strip steaks for a year plus $20 off. Gosh, does a grilled steak sound good right now? And I love that ButcherBox's beef is grass-fed. That means that the kids and I are getting health-promoting benefits like conjugated linoleic acid with healthy omega-3 fatty acids. Not to mention how much better grass-fed beef is for the environment. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones, shipped for free, frozen right to your door in an eco-friendly 100% recyclable box. No other meat delivery service compares to ButcherBox. 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised crate, free, and wild-caught seafood. They're a certified B Corp focused on quality for you, the animal, and the planet. And we have a home-cooked meal nearly every day in our home. It could not happen without our ButcherBox stocked freezer. Wesley, what is your favorite thing that we get from them? Chicken. (laughs) Why? There are so many uses for chicken. You can make, like, chicken salad, you know, that stuff. Or you could make, like, chicken wings or whatever. Uh, like, a while back, we made fried chicken. Mm. So many uses. Yeah, you went through, like, a fried chicken phase where you wanted to try all the different recipes. Yep. We used a lot of chicken. And I love that we get to do all of that and save money and time. ButcherBox has a variety of high-cut quality meats at amazing values with exclusive member deals, getting it all delivered right to our doorstep. It feels like magic without my needing to do a 
thing. You can choose from a variety of box options. We curate a custom one, which can be changed at any time, but lock it in because ButcherBox is giving us a special deal. Sign up today using code WHOLEVIEW and use code WHOLEVIEW to get New York strips for a year plus $20 off your first order. That's butcherbox.com slash WHOLEVIEW and use code WHOLEVIEW to claim this deal. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I agree with everything you said. And I think one of the things that I would encourage parents to consider, and honestly, children who are still feeling invalidated from an adult, like if you're an adult and you feel invalidated from a relationship with your parent, it's never too late to have conversations about your feelings and can really grow and mature relationships. And I think being able to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake will only help your child learn how to be the person that you want them to be. Like, I know as much as I want my children to be happy, as you said, we all do, right? Like, I also want my children to be able to be people who recognize when they've made a mistake, when they've invalidated someone's emotions, when they've hurt someone, to be able to come back and say, I'm sorry, that really wasn't my intention how can I make this better? And if I'm not modeling that as a parent, then how can I expect them to learn it as a child? And I think, like you said, it's just not culturally where we are. Yet, if we kind of walk back in our heads, we're like, yeah, that's what I want them to learn. Kind of like I have to remind (laughs) myself when my children are being really willful and it feels so frustrating and you're like, just do what I say. Like, how often do we just like, You know, I think one of the top parenting phrases is because I said so, because we just get to this point where we're like, I know what's best, just do what I say. Yet at the same time, if I walk back that question in my brain, I want my children to challenge. I don't want them to blindly just listen to somebody who, you know, whether the narrative is jump off a bridge or whether the narrative is, you know, learning to think for themselves and listening to their bodies and not getting sucked into a cult or, you know, a variety of all these things. Like it's really important for them to be able to kind of push back and have those critical thinking skills. So as frustrating and hard as it is on us as parents and people who are living very busy, overwhelmed lives, I try to remind myself like, okay, this actually is a skill that I want my child to have it's a good thing like I just need to kind of breathe through and sometimes it's okay also to say as a parent like okay that's a really good question I need 20 minutes can I you know, like can I just have space to come back and then we can talk because sometimes it's okay to also not as a parent be in a place to have these important discussions all the time like you know if you're in the middle of making dinner or sometimes I'm driving a car and I'm like looking at the map and I don't know where I'm going and Teenagers love to have deep conversations in the car. Just FYI, if you don't have them, like just because you can't make eye contact with one another. So they often bring up really heavy topics when Mm. I'm driving. And I'll be like, are you kidding me right now? (laughs) No, but instead of saying like being dismissive because I can't put my full attention into it, I've learned to say phrases like, that's a really good question. I'm really glad you're thinking about that. I want to talk about it, but I can't in this moment. And mm. also that's modeling something that I want them to learn, right? Like I want them to be able to, if some kid at school tells them something like I brought a knife to school, 
Like, I need them to feel like it's okay to say in that moment, like, whoa, that's big. I just need some space right now so that they can process and hopefully talk to a school official or, you know what I mean? Like, whatever yeah. it might be. Because teenagers are going through a lot these days. Let me just tell I mean, you. It's I'll probably lot. be giving you a call here <laughs> for some further advice. No, I don't know. Your eight-year-old seems like she's on it. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, I try to remind myself, too. We live in a, in, in a culture that's very busy. And so sometimes I'm like, why am I frustrated? I'm like, you're doing too much. The type of parent that you want to be requires you to slow down. And that is really hard for me because I can get a lot done in a short period of time and I've prided myself on efficiency. Maybe efficiency doesn't always serve me. Maybe I actually need to slow down and just be in it, right? I'm constantly like, let's just figure out the solution. It's like, that's actually not helpful. What she really needs is space and time and validation of her experience. And these are hard things. And, and you know, I think for many of us too, who did, maybe didn't come from that environment as children, I want to like offer people recognition and how hard that work is. Because you're also having to acknowledge your own experience, right? You're like remothering or reparenting yourself while you're breaking some of those patterns and beliefs to better serve that, you know, your children for the future. I mean, that's a lot of work. You're not just like, a lot of time I'm like really like lost and confused and what do I do? Because this isn't, I, you know, I love my parents, obviously, and they did the best that they can, but I was raised in a more authoritarian environment and I see where that didn't serve me. I see where my children need more validation and time and, you know, the opportunity to express how they feel and have input and not be in this power dynamic all the time. And that is a lot of work because you have to acknowledge your own experience as a child. You have to see a different path. You have to educate yourself. And and that's complicated when you're trying to also run a business and have meaningful relationship with your friends and with your partner and so I just want to offer parents acknowledgement on how, if it feels hard, it's probably because it is very hard. <laughs> and for, you know, those parents listening whose children have already left the nest, like all of these things, like you said, really apply to all of the relationships that we have in our life. I feel like my relationships with my friends are stronger because I'm able to recognize my own needs and their needs and moments and be able to say questions like, do you need me to listen right now or do you need me to help you solve a problem? Like things that I've learned with listening to my children are also things that apply to when I'm having a coaching call with someone or, you know, all of these different kinds of things. So I know we're talking about it from the perspective of parents, but I think that's because our lived experience helped us learn these things through the lens of parenthood, but it really applies to so much about life. I want to talk about one of the things that you talk about in your business that applies to so many things that you mentioned earlier as part of was your weight call for a parenthood moment, right? Like this cross-reference of recognition in your child and then being like, oh, this is what I'm putting out into the world. And you use the phrase to stop living in the construct of vanity. And I think that's a really deep phrase with a lot of different mm -hmm. meanings and applies to this concept of what we put out into the world, what our children perceive of us, but also, you know, what paradigms and messages are rooted that we don't realize we're participating in, right? Like all these things that we're talking about, it encompasses so much of that. And I'm wondering if you can share more about what you mean by that and how you've seen it affect 
all these different areas of your life and the people that you work with. Yeah, it's a really layered topic. And so I'll do the best I can here. But I think it's just complicated. I think that we do live in a culture that values vanity. We do live in a culture that women historically and presently base a lot of their worth on how they look. And what happens is we get in this loop of when I am praised and validated for that, I feel good, but it's short term, the door, different doors are open for me. Like, it just the loop feeds itself constantly. And it's really hard to get off of that carousel. But the amount of power and liberation to, in terms of unsubscribing from some of those narratives is really powerful. And so especially for people who identify as female, in my opinion, I, I do think that people who are, do not identify as that are impacted as well. But I just want to pay special note to people who identify as female because I do feel like even very much historically, the way that we appear is so much of how we determine our worth in this world. And I want to just say that I do not believe that we are born getting our worth from that. I think that that is a construct, that is a system that we have been made to be a part of. And once we are able to crack that door to curiosity and ask if that serves us or not, if we come to the conclusion that methodology and that construct does not serve us, we do have a choice. And I do think one of the things that I think is really important and what I really want to emphasize, especially at WeShape, is this idea of like, however we subscribe to that construct of vanity and validation and worth is up to us. And it's going to look different for everyone. Because when I first started going into this, I was like, all right, going to throw the makeup away, going to cancel all my future waxing appointments, going to, I'm not subscribing to any of it. And then I had to kind of back up a little bit and be like, I think the message really needs to be when you do those things, are you doing it because you're lacking internal connection with self and validation from self? And so you're trying to get it there. And I think that me doing that or like having that first thought of like, I'm just going to go down this path was just another way that I was trying to get validation in a different way, if that makes sense. So one of the things that we really want to offer people that we shape is radical acceptance. Wherever they are, whatever they choose to subscribe to, it's not my job to tell people, don't do this thing, right? It's like my job here is to hopefully connect people with their body in a new way. And along that journey, offer them acceptance for however they choose to participate in any of those systems outside of ourselves, because it's really not my job to tell people what to do. I believe it's my job to offer them support to connect with themselves in a more meaningful way. So again, it's like that internal dial of self versus that internal dial that comes from the outside. I don't think we can ever turn that off. I mean, we live in a culture, you know, I'm wearing mascara. I'm, I'm, I don't, I feel like I'm like, I don't know where the line is. And what I've discovered is that the line is different for everyone and everyone deserves dignity and respect when they're deciding what that line is. But the core of it, the root of it for me anyway, was what are my intentions behind that decision? And am I using it as a way to get that external validation because I'm really lacking that connection with self and that internal knowing of my own validation and worth? So, I mean, I'll never forget one time I had a therapist. <laughs> I, I had intentionally transitioned therapists after seven years this woman that I used to see was incredible, but she was very data-driven and she was very kind of like DSM textbook and she could give me all the things that I could really like, okay. And then I, something inside of me urged me to go to this other woman who was very maternal, 
she's not going to open up the DSM-5 even if she has training in it. She's going to really like remother me. And I felt super uncomfortable about it. Um, like the first time I met with her and was telling her something, she cried. And she's like, I'm like, why is this woman crying? She's like, I'm crying for you. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't do this. And then I realized like, oh, that discomfort that you're having is maybe because you need some of this is triggering something. So I decided to be brave and do it anyway. And I've been with her now for a number of years. And one time she looked at me and she said, I just want to make sure you know this because after working with you for a while, I don't know that you know this. Do you know that you don't have to do anything to be worthy as a human being in the world? And I said, define not doing anything, <laughs> like break it down. And she's like, you literally have to do nothing. Like you're just a pure existence gives you power to have worth. And I just sat with that, like still for years, that idea that like, I don't have to run a business. I don't have to be the perfect mother. I don't have to be the perfect spouse. I don't have to waste a certain weight. I don't have to dress a certain way. I don't have to, oh my God. Oh, shit, like blew my mind. And it was like, she kind of knew the whole time, but then she started to realize, I don't think this woman knows that she doesn't have to do anything to feel worthy. And so I hope I'm answering your question because I, basically I think to some, in summary, I think we live in a world of vanity. And I think if we're gonna reach for some of those things, it's not my job to tell people, if you're gonna join WeShape, you have to unsubscribe to all of that. No, I'm saying that there's worth inside without those things. If you still want to reach for those things, that's a, that's your business and we accept that. But we're offering a, a connection with self in a new way so that you don't have to maybe reach for it so much. Today's podcast is sponsored by Wild Health and they just opened 10 spots for their premium program, which is the one that I'm using after learning more about epigenetics. You start off by sending a DNA swab for Wild Health's proprietary genetic test in the mail, which is easy peasy, and then a comprehensive blood panel with paperwork that I simply printed out at home. From the data, you receive a 50-page personal health report detailing your ideal nutrition, exercise, and recovery plan, as well as your neurobehavioral and microbiome health and genetic risk for chronic disease. It is wild. Get it? another pun. It really is an innovative approach utilizing the experience of two emergency room physicians to utilize proactive prevention approach to healthcare. Wild Health is revolutionizing the healthcare industry with genetics-based precision medicine, and their newly launched premium programs truly give concierge medicine a whole new meaning. Your genetics, biometrics, and lifestyle data help determine what your body needs as far as nutrition, supplements, sleep, exercise, and more. So you can function at your best now and in the long run. I love the insight it gives to gaining energy, having a sharper cognition, reducing stress, and extending my life. And it's backed by data. Wild Health patients have seen a whopping 69% reduction in inflammation and 58% reduced risk of cardiovascular disease, amongst many other incredible outcomes, because they address the root cause of health problems before they become issues. Better yet, Wild Health just opened 10 spots in their premium program for the whole few listeners. So if you've been searching for a better alternative traditional healthcare and want to take your health to new heights, look no further. Visit wildhealth.com slash premium to apply for membership. I love that idea, radical acceptance. And I think that is a concept that 
is really hard to articulate, as you said, like it's so layered and I'll try my best. Yeah. It's like, yeah, because, you know, it, it is also important to be aware that is the construct in the society that we live in. And that if we choose to completely abandon the construct of, for example, vanity, right? If we choose to show up at our job without makeup, without hair done, in comfortable clothing, people are going to assume you're less efficient, even though you might not be. And people are going to ask you questions like, do you feel okay? Or, you know, are you sick? Or, you know, these kinds of things, rather than thinking that's the choice that you made today. And so I think sometimes we make choices to work within that construct of vanity, knowing that it's for others, but that it's rooted in that sense of self, or at least that's where I come from sometimes, right? Like, I don't feel like doing this, but I feel even less like dealing with the people who are going to react if I don't do it. And that doesn't help break apart that system. But I think if we're doing work in other areas, like I'm educating or you know, sometimes when we are feeling strong enough to show up in that sort of way and to be able to say, like, I remember when I worked in a professional setting and I wouldn't wear makeup, like it was so annoying how many people would mention it or talk about it or ask me if I was okay or whatever. And so some days I would show up without makeup and they would be like, oh, did you have a really rough night last night? Like, no, I just didn't feel like doing it today. Or you know, I had a busy morning and that wasn't something I made time for. And if I had the mental capacity to answer those questions and to say things in a way that was probably a little more rude than they needed to be, but also challenge them in calling mm -hmm. out, you know, activities, I think where you have the mental capacity to do that, it will make space for hopefully the next time when you don't have the mental capacity to do that. If you show up that way, that person is going to say the same thing to you because you answered it before. And I think that there's a lot of applications to this idea of like living in the construct of vanity in terms of, you know, how we're doing fitness. Are we doing fitness because it makes us feel good and we get happy endorphins from it and, you know, it helps us sleep better or, you know, whatever the case may be, or are we doing it because... We want to lean out, but we don't want to bulk up. But we, you know, like all these things as you are talking about, you know, especially people who identify as feminine or as women, like the standards are impossible. I always use the Kardashians as an example because I'm like, even the Kardashians workshop themselves. And the Kardashians in the last couple of months have gone from setting a beauty standard, the vanity standard of being very curvy and thick, and that's the ideal, but a thin waist, right? Like, and their body is not actually their body. Their body is a lot of medicine. And now going into a place of being uh, what I despise the culture refers to as heroin chic, like as someone who has mm. lost a family member, to a drug overdose for mental health crisis. I'm like, really? That's the phrase that we're using? But like this really thin kind of waif look and, cre and like, okay, so even in a Kardashian world, 
how they're defining vanity today, they would not meet those standards a year or two ago from the way that they looked before. How is it? We're never going to keep up. We're never going to be happy. We're never going to feel perfect, right? Like we're never, we're going to be constantly chasing those things and buying into all the things that weight loss culture and, you know, beauty standards are selling us because we're constantly chasing a moving target. And I think the other thing that's really powerful for me, I don't know if you've ever done this before, is like sit down and think about how much time you've lost in your life putting effort into all those things. Like if I think oh my about God, it's so much right? time. If I think about how much how many years of my life I have wasted worrying about meeting some sort of standard or expectation that someone else for me when it comes to specifically vanity, but really anything in life, right? Like years I have wasted in fat camps and dieting and, you know, fitness that I wasn't enjoying. And fun fact about me, I really enjoy water aerobics and like letting go of the shame that I love working out with blue haired ladies and doing water aerobics. Like I, it's the exercise that brings me joy and feeling okay about right? Like not feeling like, oh, it's not good enough or, you know, whatever. I'm like, who cares? And it, I just feel like we, we have to ask ourselves really tough questions to get to the root of this thing that we're participating in sometimes without even realizing that we are. I want to go back to the Kardashians for a second and dissect <laughs> that if you feel available for such, that. Isn't it such a good analogy though? I mean, it's, it's like, it's, but I want to even take it to the lens of their perspective, because let's go to the perspective of like curvy with the thin, with like their first, I don't know, they've been through many body transformations, exactly, but let's yeah. say like one of them. Can you think of somebody or a group of people who have more external validation than them? No, right? Like lots of people validate their looks, their beauty, their this. If that was fulfilling, they wouldn't need to change their body again. So they are like the epitome of proof that external validation does not bring peace, contentment, and self-acceptance. If they deeply and radically accepted themselves, which I believe is the truest form of like the most authentic power you can have in this world, they wouldn't need to keep changing their bodies. It's like, I actually have come to a place where I have a significant amount of compassion for them. I'm like, you have the biggest, one of the biggest voices in the world with so many followers on social media and you still don't feel okay about yourself. And that must feel really hard on the inside, even if we don't see that on the outside. And yet at the same time, they get all this external validation they are also exemplifying the phrase of you can be the sweetest peach in the orchard, but there's always going to be someone that doesn't like peaches. Like they also have all this yes. hate and negativity, right? Like there is never a perfect standard. I think we're all chasing perfection in one way or another, whether it's physical or, you know, in our work, efficiency, all these different terms are really rooted in perfectionist culture. And it is unattainable because you are never going to be perfect to everyone unless you feel solid and comfortable in yourself. And so this idea of radical acceptance and, you know, self-connection and really leaning into those things, I think, is a powerful place to come from when we're considering a platform 
about wellness and fitness and that kind of stuff. So yeah, and I know they get a lot of hate too. I'm just saying like if I I had hundreds of millions of followers and I had so many valid, so much validate, they have a lot of validation in in how they do it. And they're also like the most wealthy based on their beauty brands and stuff like that, right? Because people are trying to buy products to look like them. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, even that person is constantly changing the bar because they're not fully satisfied with where they've been. So, and I know they get a lot of hate also, which also proves that even when you do like exactly what you're saying, it's just, it's kind of a mess. And so I think I'm going to actually reach for authentic power, which is a very different feeling on the inside than external validation. It's just, it's shiny object. You know, our culture is like, just do this and you're going to feel good. And like, maybe people have to go through that experience to see that they don't really feel that good. Maybe, you know, like one of, one of the things I say every morning to the universe is bring me people who are ready for we shape. Like, I'm not here to change people's minds. It's not my job to tell people where they're supposed to be on their journey. You know, I was thick in my, you know, obsessive health journey for years and no one could have talked me out of it. And so it's really just about accepting where people are on on their journey and welcoming and connecting with people who are ready to take a different path. So I think that's a great transition to a question that I want to ask about this idea of finding a connection between happiness and self-love. And so, for example, I was previously a competitive lifter. I was the strongest woman in Virginia. And I have always loved group exercises. Even as an obese teenager, like I love doing the aerobics classes, the community center, like, I don't know, I'm just a dweeb way. Never gotten into Zumba though. Can't say I've gone that far. (laughs) But I've also had these phases of life where I just don't want to do any of it. And I have a hard time figuring out because of diet culture, because of trauma, because of all the things that make intuitively listening to our bodies hard, whether it be, you know, rebellion of diet culture or, you know, not allowing ourselves to rest like our culture is so focused on solutions and efficiency and all these kinds of things that we're really allowing our bodies to rest, you know, all of these challenges keep us from really getting in touch with our sense of self and listening to our bodies. I feel like it's really hard to determine, like, should I push through, as you mentioned earlier, to do this thing, even though I don't really want to, because I know it will be better for me or whatever story we're telling ourselves versus, like, when do we honor that part of ourselves it's like I just don't want to participate in any of this and I don't just mean like because you didn't sleep the night before I mean like phases of months or longer period of time where you're just like I don't want to do any of do you have thoughts on how you how we shape works with clients and like who are feeling this kind of way about engaging physically and how to really learn to listen to themselves through all the noise and some of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think self-judgment is part of the really challenging aspects of the human condition. So it's like I might, you know, leave the narrative of toxic diet and exercise culture, but then I'm just going to go into another phase of self-judgment if I don't do something. And so, you know, don't, 
this is why I feel like this work is hard is because I don't have blanket answers for everybody. I feel like all I want to continue to do is say everyone's journey looks so different and finding that point of connection with yourself is going to look different than the point that I have found. And I want to offer you acceptance in that. So I think a lot of it is experimenting. So I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I was exhausted. I hadn't slept very well for a number of days. I've had a lot of stress on my plate the last couple of weeks. And I had this window of an hour and my friend happened to text me and say, would you go on a hike with me? I need to get outside. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And then I just stopped for a moment and I said, do you not want to do it because you genuinely need physical rest right now? Or like, what is going on here? And then I also said, fast forward, like, if you do this, are you going to feel more tired? Or are you going to feel like, okay, I got some fresh air. I connected with my friend. Like I just sat in it for, I mean, I know that sounds like it maybe took a long time. It was like a minute. And then I said, I'm going to go ahead and go on the hike. So I met her and afterwards I felt better. I felt like I got some sunshine. I felt like I connected with my friend. I moved my body a little bit. And there have been other times where I've done that. And then I still felt more exhausted. And then I sit in that and then I go, ooh, that wasn't a good choice. But let's offer yourself some compassion and grace because you're learning what these cues mean. And you're not going to learn what these cues mean overnight when you've lived in a body that the external dial on the inside was turned to a 10 and the internal was turned to a two. That shift in those dials is going to take time. And I think that what I really want to encourage people to do is to go back to that concept and keep going from there. Because I do believe that like everybody is so different that what works for me won't work for you. What works for you won't work for somebody else. And so I hope that makes sense. But it's really coming from a place of like, where is this coming from? Why do I want to do it? And then if I do it or don't do it, and then also like kind of circling back around to say, did it serve me? Did it not serve me? What could I learn? But not living in the judgment of it. Like we do these daily community calls on Zoom where like our members will come in and just connect with each other, ask questions to our coaches, or we do podcast discussion groups or just share calls. And on one of the share calls, I had a woman who had turned her camera off and that's fine. We don't require cameras on, but she was like, you could tell she was really nervous this weekend. She was like, I didn't know if I should come today because I didn't work out for two weeks. And I said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like you're a human, like that's okay. That happened. Like we're not here in this group to shame you for that. If you didn't work out for another two weeks, like, okay, like, you know, I actually just want to offer you grace and kindness and gratitude for coming to the call and connecting with us today, right? And she's like, I know, but my body feels like it needs move. I said, great. And if your body feels like it, yeah, but this is not about giving you this prescription that says this is the exact way to do it. And if you don't do it, you're wrong and we're going to judge you. It's okay to experiment and throw the baby out with the bathwater once in a while and say, I'm unsubscribing from everything and then go, actually, my journey is taking me here. I think we do this thing as humans where we're like, okay, this is me. This is how I am. It's like, actually, just give yourself opportunity to evolve and change and accept that new version of yourself. And I think, I don't know if I'm making sense or answering your question, but just that continuously reaching for self-acceptance. And I'm going to do the best that I can to offer myself kindness versus self-judgment in this moment, even if this moment means I'm not going to exercise again. Yeah, no, I love that. And I especially love the idea of asking your future self like, will you feel better or will you feel worse? I think that's a great way of thinking about it. And I just think that self-judgment doesn't really like take us very far. We think that it does, but I think people would be surprised to know how far self-acceptance and self-kindness can take you. 
I've been in the fitness industry for almost 20 years. I just started liking exercise two years ago. Oh my gosh. I hated it before. No one has to quote unquote motivate me to work out anymore. I move my body because I feel like moving my body because I accept my body. Like it's just, it's a very different relationship. And so, and that didn't happen overnight. And I'm still in the thick of sometimes that not working well for me. I'm still in the thick of being pulled back. So it's not, there's no one way. And it's okay to offer yourself kindness and grace. And I just can't emphasize enough that I just don't think judgment is going to take us very far. I love it. I totally agree. And it brings me to the question I always like to ask, which is, how can we leave listeners with something positive, something actionable, a suggestion that they can take to be of service and work on themselves? I think you've offered a lot of different ideas specifically to, you know, asking some of these questions to focusing on which dials are turned up or down to really focusing on, you know, our sense of self and where can we lean in to strengthen that. And I know that I hope that one of your first ideas will also be to participate in the WeShape community. And I want to let listeners know that you have something special for them if they would like to choose to participate in that. So just in general, I'd love to, to hear your ideas, but also to have you share your community with them as something that's really kind and special. And I want to thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, again, I think the first thing is just knowing that, like my therapist said, that you're worthy as you are and you don't need to do anything in this world to gain that worth you, that just exists. And when we come from that place of understanding, and I'm still working on that myself, I think that's actually a lifelong journey. But I think an actionable item, I guess, would be to sit in the curiosity of that sit in the curiosity of how do I continue to believe that more? Because the more we, it's like us, many of us as adults with that external dial turned so loud, we don't believe that, even though it's true. And so if we know that it's true, asking ourselves, how can I dive deeper into that truth? How can I crack the door to curiosity to better understand that? I think when we're in a willing space, that things sort of naturally unfold. So I think we're all waiting for the hardest thing ever. Okay, give me the, give me the 75 hard and it will be the harder it is, the better the results. And I'm actually saying there's actually a lot of ease. There's actually a, a door that you can open that is a journey towards greater self-acceptance that takes time, but that doesn't have to be that hard. So I often think that getting curious is enough. <laughs> and I think that will take people so far. And then I also want to offer your listeners if you're curious about WeShape and our product and joining our community, they can check us out at weshape.com forward slash full view for a two-week free trial so that we can connect with you further and you can better understand what our company's offering. I love that. And thank you for your generous gift to all listeners. I just want to like call that out and say two weeks free to explore. You can even show up to the weekly Zoom call having not worked out without judgment and to benefit from the community and to check out, like Katie said, all the things that are included there. I also want to point out that there are multiple communities that listeners can participate on Instagram at WeShape and at WeShape Podcast. You have your own 
podcasts where if listeners feel inspired by or connected to the messages that you're sharing today, they can go listen to the We Shape podcast, which you do with others, not just yourself, right? Yeah, we have guests come on and we talk a lot about toxic weight loss culture, toxic exercise culture, connecting with self. So our at We Shape handle is on social media is really focused on movement and how to connect with your body. And then the social handle that's at We Shape podcast is focused on some of these more like philosophical, psychological and emotional topics that we've been talking about today. Yes, and some of our listeners will recognize like some of your guests, Chris Gresser was a guest on your show. Oh, yeah. And he's a friend of our community. So I think we love Chris. Will, he's great. Listeners will enjoy that. Katie, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the show today. And listeners, I want to remind you that if you love the show that we create and produce ourselves, you can support us at the patreon.com slash the whole view. It's the best way to support the show, but so is leaving a review or hitting the follow or subscribe button in whatever podcast app that you're using so that others can find us as well. And we've put a list of resources and show notes in realeverything.com. We'll have Katie's information, social handles, the link to the free trial, all of that there. And I want to thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate your willingness to be open to grow through your own personal changes and knowing that no one is perfect, but in listening, learning and unlearning, we can become better versions of ourselves. So thank you for being here, Katie and listeners. We'll be back again next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.